This episode was produced in partnership with Who is Elijah? We had this like big spike of growth and then we would have this really big downfall and it was just so up and down, up and down. I think it was in May last year, my accountant said to me, if you don't fire these people who are my friends, you're not going to have a business by Christmas. Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be. If you're smart, savvy and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for a dose of inspo, hard-hitting truths and actionable insights. Strap in. Today's guest is Raquel Boris. She's the founder of Who is Elijah, a beautiful fragrance brand that absolutely took off during the pandemic. Raquel was inspired to create a perfume after a little trip to Coachella and what started as a side project to create a scent just for her has now taken on a life of its own and grown into a multi-million dollar business. Raquel doesn't come from a beauty or a fragrance background and in fact before launching her brand she worked as an EA and it was a really awesome opportunity. Before launching her brand she worked as an EA and it was an awesome soft introduction to what it takes to own and to run a big business. In this episode, we chatted about how she generated traction early on, how she secured David Jones as a retailer early on, her ambitions to scale into the US, why she hired two of her best mates into the business, and what it was like to fire them. I guess the conceptualization, the idea from Who's Elijah did stem from a trip to Coachella with my besties and my now husband, actually. So what happened was my friend, Matt, he brought along one of his girlfriends from Queensland and she just smelt amazing. And I was, I think I was just, had just turned 23. I wasn't a big fragrance lover. I was more like, I don't know, I think when you're 23, you're spending your money on clothes and makeup, but she just smelt so intoxicating. I ended up tracking this. It was just like a little oil fragrance from India that she found backpacking and I ended up tracking it down online when I got home and bought like I think it was like 30 or 40 bottles of it because it was I could only buy it wholesale but they were like a few just dollars for you. bottle <laughs> literally just for me. I loved it that much I really wanted it but again it was like under a hundred dollars to buy all of those bottles and then I just started wearing it around like Bondi around Cronulla like out at like bars and things like that and I had people I knew and also randoms like chasing me down the street like coming up to me in bars being like excuse me but like what are you wearing like it was so incredibly strong but it wasn't like an over like a sickly overpowering fragrance and then that happened I think like on like three separate occasions and then I just sort of said and I was coincidentally with my friend Matt who introduced me to the girl that was wearing the oil and I said why don't like we're a little bit tipsy but I said why don't we try and make this into like a perfume like there's obviously lots of people that love it we love it like let's just give it a go and then yeah we just started googling like how the bloody hell do you even make a fragrance and that's sort of where it all started from yeah and that was I think that was about four months after Coachella so like the end of 2017. What was in that original oil was it like no idea honestly no idea there's no wow. ingredients on the bottle <laughs> like there's, you just trust that it's I just safe. trust that it's safe we, we, I still wear it today <laughs> oh my god I love that I yeah. love that you followed your senses mm. and you know you usually hear of someone starting a business because they saw something or mm. they heard something but you rarely 
hear about someone starting a business because they smelt something. And mm. I love that you literally followed your nose yeah. and started this business. Were you always interested in business, in starting something? I mean, you know, like it's it's it, starting a, a business and, and let alone being able to craft perfume which will fragrance which Mm. we'll talk about is a whole nother ball game like this isn't just something you kind of do on the side is is a business was that always kind of in the in the in the future projection of your life Mm. um I think my parents would say yes I'm Mm. definitely I don't know I don't want to say not one to follow the rules I mean I was not a very nice teenager but (laughs) sorry mum and dad (laughs) sorry mum and dad but I did always love work I think my Mm. parents really instilled like a really 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 good work ethic in me but I've always actually enjoyed working I've always I knew I always wanted my own money I've always hated relying on other people and that has been me since I was like four years old up until now my 28 year old self I always sort of worked in like the corporate sort of industry um working as an executive assistant alongside you know mostly male like alpha males and some amazing alpha females as well so I think being surrounded by you know those types of people I guess it rubbed off on me. I definitely wasn't looking to start my own business, but I think I've, you know, maybe had in the back of my head that I could do it. And then when this idea came, I don't even think I was like, oh yes, I'm going to be my own boss. Like I just really wanted to create something. So it was very, very organic. In that moment when you were like, hey, let's let's do something, let's create a perfume or let's create a business. Did you have, do you remember having a sense of like, intuition or any sort of gut instinct or sense of knowing that it was going to become a thing and be successful like do you remember the feeling yeah at at that time I do and like I don't know what it was but there was just something in me that was like you like this is something like you've you know struck gold like when we when I created because at the very beginning my I did have a business partner who is Matt the guy that introduced me to the girl wearing fragrance and you know we the plan was to do it together like we created I'm kind of going to tell a few stories in one here because they all sort of go together but we sort of came up with a brand name which was Raquel and Elijah and then we then I sort of researched and found a perfumer in Sydney and I started meeting with him I had a little bit more flexibility with my job so I you know, I could work from home back then. So I was more able to go and do these sort of meetings and things. And then I started like creating a fragrance with this perfumer and we created what is now his her. And Matt liked it, but he was a little bit turned off about the price of it, which I thought was the price was fine. And basically there's like a minimum order and it was like 200 bottles. So 20 liters to fill about roughly 200 bottles. And that was sort of when the turning point was when Matt just sort of said, look, I think that's going to take us a really, really long time to sell it. And he just wasn't financially ready or I think he was a little bit financially scared to fully, fully commit. Mm. But that is when I had that moment when I was like, no, 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 no. Like, this is amazing. Like, this smells so good. Like, I want to bathe myself in it. I know other people will as well. Mm-hmm. So that is when we sort of parted ways very amicably. And we're still really, really, really good friends. And then I had, then had to come up with a new name. And I get asked this question almost daily, like, who is Elijah? And I basically was just sitting at my desk one day and I said, who the fuck is Elijah? Because Elijah wasn't anyone. <laughs> and the name just stuck and I loved it. So that's sort of the origin of the brand name as well. 
It's a great brand name. It's very memorable. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So how much cash did you need to put in to fulfill that first order? And did you have any fear around that at that time? I mean, you know, you hadn't really tested the product outside of, mm. you know, people providing feedback on the oil, but his hurry is quite different to that original oil scent, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you were kind of taking a bit of a mm. risk yourself and diving in. Like, how did you feel in that moment? How did you have the conviction to do that? I think I was, I was, you know, I wasn't really scared, to be honest. I had zero doubt that I really went in blindly. I mean, I definitely don't do that now. But at the very beginning, I went in blindly and I said, nah, like, it, you know, worst case scenario, I lose a little bit of money and that's okay. Like, at, I, at least I tried it. Like, I'm not going to not do it. I think, like, the sort of launch um, money that was spent was, I think it was like twelve or $13,000 for, like, bottles and the perfume and, like, the labels and things like that. But that was paid over quite a long period of time because there was it wasn't all at once. So I guess it didn't seem as bad as well because it wasn't one lump sum. But, again, I was just like, I just know that this is going to be something and I'm going to do something with this. And then when I turned the website on, I guess I expected all these sales to come in, but they didn't. But <laughs> which, which we'll talk about in a moment. But tell me, I mean, you know, I guess departing from that original scent, which really mm. was what you were trying to recreate, you know, and the feedback, as Anna said, was, oh, my God, that's, that's amazing. I need that. But then you, the, you departed to his, her. Talk us through the process of creating that fragrance. What was that like? And then I guess share with us what you've learned as you've continued to evolve and create more fragrances in the business. Yeah. Well, yeah, so the the goal was to recreate that oil, but yeah, it was it's such a complex fragrance that's why we didn't create it. It just wasn't working. But then along the way I started telling the perfume of sort of what fragrances that I liked and you know, a lot of I think I gave him a list of about 10. And they all had a lot of common fragrance notes in them. So we sort of just started taking bits and pieces from each one. And I think we made like three different sort of creations. They were quite similar, but all a little bit different. And then his, her like stood out like a mm. sore thumb. And I just knew that that was the one. I personally loved it. And I just sort of came into the creation of Who's Elijah and creating a fragrance for something that I personally personally loved and wanted to wear every day. Did you solicit feedback from people when you sort of formulated his her? Did you kind of share it with your friends and family and get feedback or were you just like, nah, this is it? Like I know. <laughs> I was I was just like, no, I know. But I did show like my my boyfriend, now husband, and like all my friends and my family. My dad told me I was an idiot and who was gonna <laughs> buy my fragrance. <laughs> we'll save that for later but and the feedback was all really really amazing and I think it would they were I think when I started saying like I'm making a fragrance people are like what like that is so random but okay and then when I sort of showed them the finished good or the finished product mm. they were sort of like wow okay like shocked in a good way not like you I didn't think you had it in you but just like shocked that I guess that it smelt the way that it did in a good way <laughs> yeah and then I guess like did you I mean, you've got the fragrance, but did your thinking start to evolve? Like, did your purpose surrounding mm. the brand and, and you know, you weren't just becoming like another, you know, just another fragrance, right? I guess you wanted mm. to create a brand that stood out, that that spoke to a certain segment. I mean, how did the brand start to evolve alongside mm. the fragrances that you were creating? 
oh, well, back in day one when I like I, I've or I've kept like our original packaging and like original everything, and I cannot believe anyone bought my fragrances back then <laughs> because they looked so terrible. But hey, it worked at the start. So we've definitely evolved. Um, I think a lot of it came down to having more money to do more things with it, like, you know, creating better packaging and things like that. But I guess I've matured a lot since, you know, I was 23. My taste has matured and I've really, it was a very like indie niche brand back in day one, which we still get called that now. But I think we're sort of created a more of like a luxury mature brand now that we've evolved. We've changed our packaging like five times. Mm -hmm. And the fragrances that... We're now working with a new perfumer and he has truly opened like my eyes, my mind up to how far we can actually take who is Elijah. He's really educating me on these more like elevated fragrance notes. And, you know, he travels now that we're out of COVID, he's starting to, he travels around the globe again and he's sourcing ingredients from like every corner of the globe which is amazing and he really focuses on like using sustainable ingredients as well so that's something that we're we've got some amazing fragrances in the works for next year and I can't believe that they're going to be mine and but we really focused on like sustainable the highest quality of ingredients that we can possibly find so I'm really excited about that so I think that is something that I had no idea to even look at from day one but now that we're sort of growing and we're educating ourselves and people that we are now partnered with are educating us it's yeah we're turned into this completely different company always in a good way mm-hmm. I want to take it back to the first few years you said before that you know you spent all this time developing the first fragrance and you turned on the website and you were <laughs> expecting all of these sales to come in what were, what were the first few months like or the first couple of years like and how did you actually get the word out? Because fragrance is, it's like any beauty product unless you're sitting mm. there trying it. It's, yeah. you know, people, there's a barrier to buy. But I think with fragrance, it's even higher than, say, a lipstick mm. or a foundation because it's purely the scent that you're buying. And if you can't mm. smell it, it's like, how do you know? So how did you spread the word in the early days? So like day one, I before launching, I was really working on like Instagram, posting like um, there's like cool photos and, you know, putting together little like almost like little like blurbs that sort of explains the personality of who is Elijah, I guess you could say, just to sort of try and build a bit of a following before we launch. I don't even remember how. I wish I documented more of this, but I don't even remember how many people we had at launch, but like, I don't know, maybe a thousand and I'm probably mostly friends and people that knew me. But yeah, like it was slow. Like it was so slow. I still remember my first sale was a 10 mil his her from someone in Tasmania and it was like nine o'clock at night and I jumped out of bed and like packed the order. (laughs) It was so funny. But I, you know, I knew straight away that it was going to be really hard to sell a fragrance online. So once I sort of had everything ready for launch, I started approaching stores, little boutiques, and basically I just walk into a store and introduce myself and have a sample there to give to them and kind of give them a little bit of a backstory of who is Elijah and myself. And we, I had a really, really, really good run at securing wholesalers from the very beginning. And I think what really helped me was that it was sort of oh no it was pre-COVID times then sorry a little bit later on helped me because of the COVID scenario I think but at the very beginning I think people just 
liked that I kind of was having a go at doing something and mm. you know I was probably the first person to ever walk in there and say hey I just created a fragrance do you want to sell it <laughs> yeah did you also tap into I mean as you said right people were following you following you down the street saying oh my god mm. I love that scent where is that from did you tap into influencer marketing were you getting your fragrance out there onto people that were out in crowds and and almost spruiking it that way no, I was an idiot. I didn't even think to do that. <laughs> it took me two years, over two years to actually start doing that, which is just so silly. <laughs> I just think like, I know it wasn't that long ago, you know, oh, so we launched in October, 2018 mm. and maybe I just was a little bit behind. I don't know, but I just don't remember influencer marketing being what it mm. is back then. But yeah, no, I was, I was so stupid to not do that. But when we did do that, that is when we really saw growth for the first time since the beginning. That was like in just, I think it was like middle of 2020 that we started doing that. How did you maintain kind of conviction in what you were doing in those first few months and, you know, potentially years when it was relatively slow? Mm. And I was going to say that, like, I just truly had that burning desire to make this happen. And then when I finally launched it and I had the physical product in my hand, I was like, okay, I can actually picture myself in the future. I'm very big with like manifesting. So I'm like, I can really picture myself you know, running this company. And it wasn't even like, I want to sell millions of bottles. Like I just wanted to do this every day because it was so much fun. But I was really preoccupied. I had, I was an executive assistant working full-time in the city here in Sydney. And I worked, uh, yeah, I assisted four people. So I didn't have spare time ever. Mm -hmm. So I never, and I also didn't have, you know, the pressure financially to be like this needs to start happen right now and I need to be successful right now it kind of was almost like a fun hobby at the start that I really wanted to make something permanent but I think that was the best thing was that I didn't have any pressure on myself to make it happen straight away I knew that I had to learn a lot more I knew that I could make my packaging a lot better but I just wanted to sort of go a bit slower so it, yeah it was I was happy to go slow and what was the moment that it really changed and picked up for you because I mean you obviously mm. mentioned influencer marketing but mm. what else happened that kind of you said all right this is no longer like the slow growth <laughs> company that I'm probably happy to leave that behind yeah where did everything change I think it was about 12 months in I partnered with a wholesale agencies, like sales agency in Melbourne, and they they loved the brand. I had just redone our packaging to like, I guess you could say like proper perfume packaging and not the brown boxes that I just put tissue paper in. And they started selling to stores for me, like little mostly boutiques, sort of mid to sort of high luxury boutiques. Mm -hmm. And I think we got about 15 stores and I was like, holy my God, like this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was still working full time. So I don't know how I didn't get in trouble for this, but I was like packing wholesale orders in the boardroom at work and sending them from the office. I never got in trouble. I think they listen to all my podcasts now too. So sorry guys. Yeah. I was really feeling the momentum then and then I was laying in bed and it was the sort of first time I really thought okay I want to do this full time how can I quit my job you know there was a certain amount of money that I wanted to make before I quit so I was laying in bed one night and I was just on LinkedIn and I was scrolling trying to find fragrance buyers from David Jones 
because in my head I thought if I could secure a major retailer like David Jones, surely I can quit my job then. So I DM'd Kate, who I still speak to now, and she messaged me back. I think it was like two days later. And she said that she it sounded really interesting and she'd love to talk to me more. So I sort of just thought to myself like, holy wow, like, okay, I really need to like make a really good impression so I sort of recruited a girl that I worked with who was a marketing manager and a graphic designer that I was already working with to put together this like brand deck of who was like and we only had two fragrances at that stage his her and her her and yeah I spent about a week putting together this like beautiful I don't know like maybe like a seven page brand deck which covered like the brand story myself the fragrances the fragrance bios ingredients where it's made and so on and I sent that to Kate at David Jones and she emailed me back almost straight away and said I haven't seen a good a brand deck this good in a really really long time we want to put you in David Jones and she hadn't even smelled the fragrances and I was like is this a, is this wow, a that's wild. Like, is this cool? And I was like, can I please send you samples? And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, this send me a two mil. And I sent them, <laughs> I sent them 50 mils just so they could see them. And she's like, wow, wow, like, these are so much more beautiful than, you know, that even more beautiful than what I was reading. Mm. And I think it was like eight weeks later and we launched into David Jones. And after I got the contract, like a couple of weeks later, I walked into the CEO's office and quit my job. <gasps> Love. Yeah. You make it sound really easy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think um, it's testament to the work that you've done up until that point. Mm-hmm. Creating a seven-page brand deck mm-hmm. actually is really quite hard mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of being really targeted and specific in terms of what you want to communicate and appealing to the person that you're sending it to. So obviously mm-hmm. you've done you've done a lot of brand thinking and product yeah. thinking before you got to that stage. And do you think maybe it was also timing? Like were they looking for a new fragrance? to put on the shelves? I think it was definitely timing. So this was July 2020, so the big big C word time. I think that they were really wanting to find like Australian, more like Australian-made products. They hadn't launched a new fragrance in years prior. So I think they were looking for newness. Our packaging was like really different. It really stood out on the shelf. They gave me like prime shelving and like our own like shelves in like the five David Jones that we were in. And we've still kept those shelves to today. So I think it was, I think it was the newness. They really really believed in like the brand story and like you know me being like the female founder and in an independent brand you know we're on the shelves next to like Dior and you know all those you know Chanel that have been around for such a long time and yeah I I think there was I think there was a few factors that was really helped with the timing. What were some of the things that you had to work through in terms of securing that deal negotiating the agreement you know Mm. was there anything in the back end of your business that you had to change or update to be able to fulfill bigger orders and like how did the business need to evolve so that you could go Mm. into that level of retail well I sent them probably 20 emails asking them to tell me what all of these terms meant like we had to get an an EDI system so it's an electronic data information system had no idea what that was I had never worked in retail so I did not know what any of these retail terms were um so I had to learn a lot and I she was so lovely like I'd never felt like stupid or dumb asking all these really probably simple questions but I had to learn this system that was really really hard the like understanding their sort of like payment terms and like the discounts that they do ask but to be honest I didn't care what they wanted I just wanted to be in there and we were really lucky I did I did hear a lot of horror stories from friends that worked for sort of other brands that were in David Jones and they were like you know be careful of this and be careful of that and be careful of this but I I don't know if that was because that was more they were all fashion Mm. brands it was different but yeah I mean 
I would have signed anything, to be honest, just to be in there. <laughs> Sign the business yeah, over. Yeah. I don't care what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Take it, take yeah. it. But, yeah, I had to learn a lot. That was, you know, I felt like, this, you know, the smallest fish in the biggest pond then. But they really held my hand and were so lovely to me. And still to today, we're still with them and I love working with them. Mm, that's so good. It's so nice to find a partner, especially in those mm. early days where you feel like you can learn at the same yeah. time, you know, you, it, there's yeah. a safe space to be able to learn because you don't know what you don't know in those early, in those no. early stages. I still um, know nothing. Oh, well, I, well, I don't, <laughs> don't I don't that. believe that because you've <laughs> now ex- that. Expanded internationally. I mean, one thing getting into a retailer in Australia internationally, it's a whole nother ball game. What mm. have been some of the challenges or wins or lessons really mm. from securing international partners? So different to Australia. Like I felt like I only just learned Australia and then had to learn all these other retailers. Mm. So again, just all of this, everyone uses a whole different system to sort of like place their orders and communicate with keeping up with that you know places like urban outfitters and free people and anthropology Mm -hmm. like they're huge Mm. huge companies over in America and you know it sometimes takes like six to eight weeks to get an email back from them so like that's really really hard and now we're able to travel over there so it is getting a little bit easier um but you know for those sort of two years that we weren't able to travel and that was when we were launching with them it, you know, I felt like so far away and like that I had, it was really hard to communicate with them, still really hard to communicate with them, but it's a little bit smoother now, I think, because we're just getting into a bit more of a flow. The UK, we, oh, that was the biggest learning thing ever. We still haven't even launched in there. It took, it's taken 12 months exactly to get our like product registration for the UK. Mm. So that was a big learning curve. And I wish that I had hired someone like a consultant to help me do that because I probably would have gotten it done nine months ago. But anyway, I learned how to do it and we finally done it. But again, I really trust the timing of everything because we I don't think that we would have been ready to have launched there any earlier than what we are now. So we're launching there in February and we've partnered with Beauty Bay and they're like a sort of like the UK equivalent of Abdoor Beauty, which is um, really exciting because they're obviously a big partner of ours here in Australia. But we're still learning and, yeah, like things like pricing, like learning how to price our products in different currencies like that has been so hard. I still don't even know if we've done it right, but... I know in my mind, I'm like, well, we can always change it. <laughs> and have you been negotiating the same or similar terms across all of these different mm. retailers, all of these different markets? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that, how you've approached the terms? Yeah, so everyone's pretty much across the globe. They have very similar payment terms and like discounting terms and things like that. We're pretty like strong now that we won't go any higher than a 55% margin. Typically, mm-hmm. we like to stick to a 50% margin, but, you know, the the bigger guys, they're sort of, they also won't go any lower than a 55, 55% margin. <laughs> Mexican standoff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come um, meet me. <laughs> yeah, like some are like a 60 to 65 and I'm like, no, yeah. like no yeah. way, like we just can't do that. So we haven't had anyone reject us for a 55% margin. So I think that's really important. Like if you really believe and trust 
that you know mm. your product is really good like you have to stand up for that I wouldn't have done this two years ago I would have said yes to anyone like I said before uh, yeah. but again that's why I'm glad that I really didn't push a lot of these big guys so early on because I would be stuck in these like five-year deals that I just probably would be losing money because of because it's so it's like costs so much for us to ship everything overseas especially because we're a dangerous good so yeah. yeah that would be hard what has that transition been in terms of your mindset? You said, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have just said yes to anyone. I said yes to DJs, but now you're sort of more confident and firm in your own decision-making process. How have you got to the point where you are now? Like, were there moments mm. in the last few years that really made you more confident as a business owner or have more conviction in your business? Yeah, I think definitely. I think I myself have gotten more confident. I've always been confident in who's Elijah and the product. I just think that we've like perfected it along the way in terms of like the packaging and things like that. Because, you know, a, a lot of these stores that we're in, you know, where they sort of say in a way like, you know, we it's our job to sell your product once and then it's your job to sell your product time and time again, mm. meaning they, they're selling a product because it looks really nice on the show. So I think I, I actually heard that on a podcast. I forget who it was with, but that had like stuck in my mind from like three years ago. So I always knew that I really needed to elevate our product so I could reach these you know more luxury retailers I guess you could say and then I had in my mind if they're saying yes to me like little old who is Elijah they must really want this product and if they really want it and I want to continue to elevate and grow the brand I need to be strong and you know make the money that I need to make so that I can keep making these you know better changes and things like that so I guess it's just trusting that it just being more confident in myself and you know the the brand and if these big guys are saying that they want it it must be a good product so mm. yeah give us give yourself a little pat on the back every now and then <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you mentioned just earlier that you know you wish that you'd hired a consultant to kind of speed up mm. the process and so I imagine that you were largely driving a lot of these conversations and negotiations yourself mm. What do you see as your kind of strengths perhaps versus weaknesses and did you have to almost go through the process of doing everything yourself to realise what your strengths and weaknesses were, were and where you could kind of hire people and plug people into those maybe mm. spots or places that didn't really light you up or weren't, weren't perhaps your strengths? Yeah, I think like now I really know what my strengths are. But I mean, at the beginning, you don't you have a choice. You have to do everything yourself because, you know, you can't afford to. Well, I mean, I definitely couldn't afford to hire anyone for the first couple of years. And I think that I thought that my my weaknesses were actually my strengths back in the day, if that makes sense. Like, I, I guess I, I don't know if it was a confidence thing or if I was just trying to do too much. But, you know, I when when I did quit my job, that was really scary because I'm like, wow, I've never been responsible for paying my own wage before. Like I always just got paid on the 15th of every month and that was great. And I always knew when money was coming in, but I think that was like, I don't want to say imposter syndrome, but like that's, you know, it's a big like, okay, time to be a big girl now. And, you know, you, I, how do we make this not fail? And I want to grow. So I need more money and I need to make sure that, you know, I can pay my wage myself. And 
So I then sort of made a decision, okay, so I need to hire someone to help me with sales. And at that point in time, we were very wholesale dominant. Um, so I thought, why not hire like a wholesale person? Because at that stage, I, we were working with a wholesale agency, but it didn't work out in the end. So I thought I'd bring someone in-house and then that would be their job to work on all day, every day. That person was actually a friend, which is a big no-no. And everyone always said, like, never hire your friends. But I did and it was great. But I just think it got to a point where the growth stopped. And, you know, I then had, you know, I'd committed to this salary that for another person that I had to pay. And because that we were growing at that stage, we also were needing to hire people to work in our warehouse, which was my garage. So, you know, I all of a sudden had quite a few employees and I, yeah, and then it was like we grew, we had this like big spike of growth and then we would have this really like big downfall and it was just so up and down, up and down. And my accountant said to me, it was only, it was I think it was in May last year, he, he said to me, like, if you don't fire these people who were my friends, you're not going to have a business by Christmas. And this was only last year. So that was like a very, very scary moment. And it's, you know, it's, it was so easy to get into this, you know, predicament that I got myself into. And, it, you know, in hindsight, I shouldn't have had half of those staff because I could have been doing it myself. And, you know, I still haven't, or until about two months ago, we hadn't replaced that wholesale role I was doing it myself and I think I, I I got like another hundred stores by myself in like six months so I don't know why I didn't just do that you know the whole time it would have saved me tens and tens of thousands of dollars and like mm-hmm. a lot of heartache and scariness so yeah I, that's been a really really crazy lesson that I have definitely learned from. Was your intention in hiring those people I mean obviously your intention would have been to kind of offload some of the work to others to free yourself up to kind of grow the business, et cetera. So it's kind of a hard one because at the time, I guess you felt you were doing the right thing by the business, obviously, Mm. and you were investing in growth, investing in a sales role, but ultimately it potentially wasn't the right person. How hard was it to kind of have that conversation with your mates about, you know, you're not performing and unfortunately (laughs) we have to let you go while also managing a business that your accountant has said has got six months left of runway. Like Mm. Mm. the emotional stress of that would have been pretty intense. It was. And like, I honestly, I could never, I, I couldn't even do the conversation. My husband actually did it. I was there in the room, but you know, I, I, I'm not a good, I'm not good with confrontation. I hate letting people down. I hate hurting people. So that was honestly up there with one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. But if it, but it came down to my accountant saying that to me and it, you know, who was Elijah's like my baby. Like I'd, I'd put so much into it at that point alone. And you know, he could have told me to do anything and I would have done it. Like I, there was no, losing the business was not an option and never will be an option. So it was just like, it was just something that we had to do. And we, I think we did it the next day or it was within 48 hours. We sort of had that really tough conversation. So I still have nightmares about it. (laughs) How did it change you as a founder and as a leader? I think it really taught me a lesson because why, sort of why I wanted to hire this person was it wasn't really to free up my time. I, I think it was because I thought they could do a better because of sort of, I guess, their resume that they had. But, you know, I, I think I've actually done a better job since then. And I just wish that I believed in myself 
a little bit more. And I think it was also like, oh, like I'm growing and I can hire people. That must mean I'm, you know, a real mm-hmm. business. And it's like, no, like you're not a real business for at least a few more years. <laughs> like just do it all yourself. Like sleep less, do more. Like I wish, I just wish I sort of had done that more. And it wasn't because I was being lazy. I definitely was working around the clock, but that was, I should have focused that on that sales role more importantly. So who's on the team now? We've got an amazing team. So I think there's about, I think there's 13 of us now. Most of our employees are in the warehouse because we still hand fill all of our bottles, which is insane. So, and then upstairs in like our office area, I've got Jazz, who's my brand manager, our executive assistant, Brooke, and then it's just my husband and I. Um, so it's a really small team and mm. we actually had this size team at this point of time when my accountant said you need to fire some people and we were doing a lot less revenue. So it really, again, goes to show if you have the right people, um, mm. you can do so much with a small but, you know, mighty team. So I think we've actually got less people now than what we did a year ago and we've like grown a thousand percent since then. So goes to show. <laughs> Do you feel like going through that experience, you know, that hard conversation with your accountant and then kind of pulling back the entire team and essentially rebuilding, do you feel like you've grown, like grown up a little bit? Yeah, I think I've definitely grown. I've learned a lot. I make a lot more informed decisions. Like I I used to be, I still kind of am, but I a lot better now. I'm so like I'm just like a yes person like I get excited and I'm like yeah sure like let's give it a go but now I'm definitely a lot more like not hesitant but I'll really think about it and I'll sit on it I'll you know ask for you know what's the word that I'm looking for like ask for advice from people that have done it before and yeah I'm definitely definitely matured a lot and taking not being as like just free, like free going, I guess you could say. Mm, mm. Speaking of growing up, you've just secured a PR agency out of the US who represents some pretty epic mm. beauty brands. Yes. How did that come about and why did you decide to take that path? Is this a quick way to grow in the US and is this a market that you're really mm. focused on right now? So I have been trying to grow in the U.S. for two years now. It is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's so, it's such tough. a, it's tough. And everyone did tell me like, you know, the U.S. is a different ball game. Like, you know, it's not going to, it's not, it's not like Australia. But again, I guess going into it ignorantly, you know, I've hired salespeople over there that works that didn't work. And, you know, I, I tried, I tried to do the same thing that I did here in Australia and it just didn't work. So you know, after two years and, you know, America is such a big market. And of course, you know, I'm sure a lot of brands, you know, really, really try hard to get into there. So I, you know, and everyone kept telling me you need money and you need really, really good PR because Sephora US actually reached out to me about, I want to say nine months ago, they found my perfume in a store in New York and they reached out to me and wanted to have a chat. So we had a talk, but they sort of didn't go any further because I didn't have any PR over there. Mm. So that was the first time where I really thought, okay, like I really need to get PR over there. Started looking at PR PR over there. Did work with a PR agency over there, a smaller Mm. sort of boutique one. Didn't really do anything for us. But then, yeah, it was about 
beginning of this year, I really wanted to focus on the US. And long story short, I found I found a few PR agencies on Instagram and I DM'd three of them and only one of them got back to me, which is Chase and Media. And they represent like Jen Atkins brand, The Way, Glow Recipe, Boys Lie, so many amazing brands. And I sent him all of my perfumes and he messaged me like after he got it and he said I'm no longer wear Tom Ford I'm only wearing Nomad <laughs> by who is like oh my god <laughs> I know and then I actually flew to LA so he's based in Beverly Hills about two weeks later and I had a meeting with him and uh, he sort of sat me down with his team and showed me like the launch plan of what he thinks that we need and then he showed me how much it would cost and I nearly fell off my chair <laughs> oh really um, I, I was yeah. like a monthly retainer and like a, a, a annual commitment or how did they so Structure. a monthly retainer that is like four times what we pay here in Australia to wow. still put that into perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was all, all like the actual launch plan sort of budget, I guess you could call it, like the yep. events that he wanted to do across LA, New York and Miami. And I just said to him like, I cannot afford this right now, but please wait for me. I really want to do this. Like, just give me a little bit more time. So Mm. I emailed him about three weeks ago and I said, I'm ready. So he just signed the contract the other day and it still makes me feel so nervous because it is like, it's such a, I feel like I'm on day one again, to be honest. Like, I feel like I'm on day one and, you know, I've never spent this much money on PR here in Australia, but you just have to do it over there. And he truly truly believes in me like he doesn't need me like I need him so you know the brands that he represents are just insane but he just truly believes in who is Elijah and he just keeps telling me he's like you have no idea what you're in for next year like get be prepared like strap in strap in like you are you're and yeah so we're spending a lot of time in America next year which I'm really excited about but yeah back to where it all started Back to where it all started. You're going to take the kids to Coachella? Coachella? See you you in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Kids are staying at home. Kids are staying at home, but myself and my husband and some of the team are going to Coachella. Oh, how good. Yeah. I love that. It's so exciting. You were talking earlier about how you've kind of evolved in terms of your decision-making, you know, really like marinating on things and thinking things through. I'm curious, what are some of the big decisions that you're currently thinking about in the business? Well, definitely the SPR was a really big one that I sat on for like six months. So that was a big one. We, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who it is. So I won't say who it is, but we actually got reached out to by this really big company. They're primarily based in the UK, but their reach is global. And basically they represent like these incredible brands like Chanel, like L'Occitane, like so many Mm. amazing brands. Mm. And they actually reached out to us about two months ago. And they, I don't know how they heard of us. They just said a lot of the people in the office wear our perfumes and they wanted to reach out with us. And basically it's, we're partnering with them to take us global so they will they will launch who is Elijah all across Europe help us with the UK they can help us in Asia so that is something we're actually the CEO reached out to us yesterday of the company and wants to have a call a, a 15 minute chat with us at 3 40 p.m don't know what he wants to talk about but the the sort of like the account manager that we're dealing with said that he never ever does this so Wow. I'll, I'll let wow. you know what says. That's like a really big focus at the moment. We were having a conversation just earlier, Anna and I, we were being interviewed on a podcast, which was nice. And we were just talking about like kind of your responsibility when it comes to 
global growth. I mean, mm-hmm. you are in this space now, this stage of just what sounds like and what could be, you know, incredible mm-hmm. global expansion, right? All these opportunities are on the table. I mean, you said it's going to look very, my life is going to look very different next year to what it looks like now. Do you have any moments where you're just like, oh God, like is is the horse running away from the cart kind of thing or is this going too fast or, or do I want this? Like have you had any of those moments and, and how do you centre yourself? How do you get back to who you are and mm. and and back to that original kind of purpose of just creating, you know, beautiful fragrances for people? Yeah, I mean I think I've got what two little bubbers, like they keep me grounded. Mm. Like, yes, I might go to some cool glamorous event on a Thursday, but I'm back at home that night, putting them to bed, getting vomited on, cleaning we off the floor. So <laughs> I think that is very humbling. I work side by side with my husband. So I've kind of made him be the CEO now because he's much mm. better at it than I am. I, I don't know, like it just, I think because I'm always surrounded and I still have some friends that, you know, work at Who is Elijah and everyone that now works there has become a friend. And I don't know, like I, I don't ever feel like I'm like, I don't feel like I've changed. Mm. I just feel like things around me are changing, mm. if that sort of makes sense. I think I'm still the same person. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is the thing that I do get scared about and then we have experienced is that growing too fast stage where, you know, at the end of the day we're a product and if we don't have glass bottles or boxes or fragrance, like we can't sell that product. So that has been one of the hardest parts of Who's Elijah since day pretty much day one is making sure that we can actually fulfill like the, mm. gr- the orders for this growth that we have and so that's sort of what my husband now does he's done it for the past year we're still learning but we're finally getting to a stage like financially where we can order 10,000 units of something and because we're getting the you know the, the like raw materials from three different countries that's really important that they all sort of marry up together and we get them at the same time so we can actually piece it all together. Mm. Have you been in a position where you've had to put your own savings into the business again or take out a loan to Mm. fund, you know, Mm. growth? Like have you ever been in that position where you've been in a bit of a crunch? Yeah, honestly, like still now we Mm. we do that, you know, because sometimes we have to outlay, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. And Mm. yes, Who Is Elijah is growing really well, but we invest everything back into the business. Mm. And, you know, there are times where, you know, we've got 300 wholesale partners and they don't always pay on time. So there's mm-hmm. sometimes where we've got, you know, close to $400,000 owing to us and, you know, 40% of that is overdue and we don't know when we're going to get it. So mm. I, pretty, I pretty much drained Adam and I's life savings for who is Elijah, but mm. he happily let me do it. Like, I don't even think we have savings anymore, but... <laughs> what a savings. <laughs> what a savings. But yeah, I mean, we still, we're not like, yeah, we don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to just sit in the bank account. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's our money's always constantly on a boat, you know, coming from <laughs> Europe or from mm. China and or sitting in someone else's pocket for and us waiting for it. So that's really hard. I, but I think that's like, it doesn't really stress me out too much because I, I mean, I think cash flow for most businesses mm. is like the toughest yeah, thing. Yeah, that's so. business. It's kind of part and parcel that's of business. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You've spoken a lot about manifestation and I'm curious, what are your big manifestations or hopes for the future? 
Oh, I really hope this PR agency pays off in America. No, I think, yeah, I mean, I would really love to really just honestly for who is Elijah and my creations to get into hands, get into the hands of people and, you know, really break through to a new country and sort of, you know, see that customer love that I see here in Australia, you know, in the UK and in America. And, you know, I've never been to Europe, so I'd love to go to Europe and, you know, see who was Elijah in stores in Europe. I think that would be so cool. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Mm. And finally, what's one thing that you are searching for an answer to? What's one thing that you still need to learn, you still need to try and understand? So much. I think Mm. I've got so much to learn. Like I think I need to learn how to be a better leader. I think I have a lot to learn there. Not that I'm a bad boss or anything, but that's sort of why I really lean on my husband a lot for those sort of like leadership skills that he has at the business. And, you know, we've got a pretty much 90% female team and they just love Adam so much. They'll text him at night asking him for like life advice. Mm. Like it's just, it's so good. And I just think I get so carried away with you know important stuff for the business but that I I don't actually spend time celebrating the wins that we have you know something amazing will happen I'll be like okay great what's next and mm. Adam actually pulled me up on this about two weeks ago because we partnered with Sass and Bide and uh, he he kind of just like stops like literally grabbed my shoulder and he's like this is really epic like I hope that you know that I'm like yeah I know it's amazing he goes, but you're already talking about this this and this and he's like let's like why don't we get a cake and celebrate it like there's something that he's like we really need to celebrate the wins and he goes you just move at a million miles an hour and we just like he's like I just worry that you don't really take the time to like you know appreciate how you know what you did to get to this moment and like really appreciate it and I do appreciate it but I think it's just like I'm always thinking about um you know something else that's on my plate or something else that's sort of in the pipeline Yep, celebrate the wins. It's important because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of tough times. So when you have those yeah. amazing moments, it's like really important to take stock. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed this chat, our very first episode for 2023. And we really hope that last message stays with you a little while. This year, let it be the year that you actually start celebrating your wins. And we mean, you know, to really pause to really reflect and acknowledge the progress that you've made and the progress you continue to make. And also, really importantly, to be proud of yourself and to be proud of the founder and the leader that you are becoming. 